0: I need to warn you that before we started service this morning, two of our prayer warriors grabbed me and took me to the corner of the church back there uh, and prayed for me that the Holy Spirit might speak from me. I feel him coming. (laughs) So I warn you, (laughs) listen to what he has to say for us. All of this summer, we have been studying Paul's letter to the Galatians. It's one of the earliest epistles of Paul, and it has a foundational teaching of what our Christian message is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The church in Galatia is not one church like St. Paul's, it was actually about seven different communities in what today is the southern part of Turkey and Paul had gone in there and he had preached first at the synagogues that existed in those areas bringing the message as Jesus had instructed first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles and he came and he spoke with them and he brought them the gospel of Jesus Christ and he created a community that that accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And he equipped that community to care for itself and he appointed leaders for it. And the Jewish members of that congregation would go to temple, uh, to their synagogue on Friday nights, but on Sunday to commemorate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ they would meet in one another's homes and would hear again the gospel of Jesus Christ and would break bread together and worship the Lord. And as those congregations grew, they began to attract pagan members of those communities who did not come from any Jewish tradition, who were raised as pagans in that society and were polytheists, and they worshipped wherever they were instructed, God was present. They worshipped him in the thunderstorms. They worshipped him in the earthquakes. They worshipped him in the tsunamis. Wherever there was a force, an unexplainable force that developed, they thought that God was behind that and that they needed to appease that God by offering sacrifices to them to protect themselves and their community. And so these communities that Paul had founded very quickly became multirational. They had a lot, good number of Gentiles who were members of the community. After Paul had established these churches, then he went on through that particular area to found other churches. And about five years after he had put these together, he began to get word that there was some divisions that were developing within those churches. They were no longer being held together by a love and respect of the gospel and love and concern for one another, but some strangers had come to them whom he termed Judaizers, which means that they were, they were Jewish people who had accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior but still put a great deal of emphasis on how important it was to continue with the uh, traditions with which they had been raised and to follow the dietary laws and to express their commitment to the Lord by being circumcised. And this started a division within the community of some who felt attracted to these things and wanted to experiment with them for a while, others who found them very distasteful and didn't want to have anything to do with them. And so there was a great deal of division in the community. And Paul wrote the letter that we have been studying to correct those divisions that was separating brothers and sisters one from another that were diluting the gospel of Jesus Christ with ancient practices that were now totally unnecessary because Jesus had come to fulfill the law and the prophets. And so Paul wrote this letter, a scathing letter, in which he calls to task those leaders of that church who allowed this division to to develop and began to instruct them on the truth of the gospel. And we have been looking through that for the last several weeks. And today we come to the final chapter of that when he brings it all to a conclusion by putting their focus on the love of God. God's love for us and God's call for us to love and respect him, which is the basis of the community. And is the basis of the gospel. And so Paul tells them that they must put aside these divisions. They can no longer be, as he called them, backbiters and fighters and people of division, but they must come together and realize the basis of their unity. And the basis of their unity is the basis of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we are all sinners saved by grace and that God did not require us to jump through hoops and do certain things in order to receive that salvation. All he asked was that we accept him as God's Messiah and follow his teachings. And then Paul pointed out to them, and I remind you that Jesus Christ came and died for you and restored you to the love of the Father while you were still sinners. You didn't have to observe a lot of rites and rituals and different things in order to prepare yourself to become acceptable to God. He died for you to show the love of God that is the message of the gospel. And he says, the best proof of love is the ability to forgive. And so he said, I call upon you to forgive one another for this division that has happened. Don't go to the trouble of trying to place blame on who's responsible for it, but allow it just to be dissipated by the love of God. And don't any of you consider yourself better than others in the community because you might have think that you had been more faithful to the gospel than others who you perceive doing things that disturb you. But he said forget those things and simply forgive one another and come back together and live in the love that Jesus Christ brought to us. And then in chapter 5 that we studied last week, he listed the things that we are called to do, how we show that love after we forgive, how we care for one another, how we are considerate, how we minister to one another, how we try to be witness to the gospel for the rest of the Gentiles in the community who have not heard or received the gospel yet, that they might see a value in that gospel from what they see in your life. They see no value when they see you fighting with each other. They can go to the temple and fight with their own people if that's what turns them on. They want to see the unity, the love that you express one for another. That's the power of the gospel, to love and to forgive. Now, these Judaizers who came to bring this message of division to the people were not bad people they were simply misdirected people they were Jews who had accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior but still had a very strong attachment to their Jewish activities and traditions which was fine for them because they were theirs it belonged to their culture to their nation to their families it was who they were and it was compatible with the gospel of Jesus Christ. As long as it did not eclipse the gospel and replace it, the gospel had to have primacy in the community. But these other devotions and practices and observance were okay for those who felt attracted to them. But to impose them on other people was where the problem was. And these Judaizers came because they thought they were trying to keep the the Jewish flavor to the gospel of Jesus Christ because they were so grateful that they came from the chosen people of God who had kept alive the hope of a redeemer. And that redeemer, that Messiah, came in the person of Jesus Christ who was an observant Jew. And they thought it was important to keep those things alive. But that was not the desire of the Holy Spirit because there was still the basis of division in there because of where you came from and what your culture and division was. God was calling these people to do what Abraham had done, leave your family and your traditions and your observances and come to a new land that I will give you a land in which I will bless you and bless all of the people who will come from you. And that's what was happening in the Christian church. It was the primacy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is where the focus had to be. And so Paul was very concerned, and he got together with his friend Barnabas, who was a fellow missionary with him, and he said, if we've had this problem in Galatia, we're going to have it in the other churches. Because the basis of all our other churches were seated in the in the congregation of the uh, 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 of the synagogues, and there's a good number of Jewish co- uh, uh, members in there, and we can't allow this to happen. And so Paul and Barnabas went back to Jerusalem, and they called together Peter, and James, and John, and the other apostles into what has come down to us as the first council of the Christian church since it was birthed on Pentecost and given the assurance of the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And so they gathered in Jerusalem, and they prayed to the Holy Spirit that he would lead them in the decision that they were making, and prayerfully they considered and they argued all the ramifications of what was taking place within their communities. And they came to the decision that jesus had made it very clear the jewish people were to keep themselves sacred separate from their pagan brothers until the messiah came but once the messiah was here jesus said very clearly i have come to bring salvation to all men not just to jews and when he instructed the apostles to bring the gospel out he said go first to the jews but then to all of the other people in 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 the area and bring them the gospel and give them the fullness of salvation. And so they said, this is obviously the way that God wants it to unfold and so we will not allow these Judaizers to impose these regulations on the community. If any of the Jewish members want to follow them as their own personal observance, they're free to do so. But no one is forced to do this in order to be a Christian. Following that does not make them a super Christian. It makes them a diluted Christian. And so he said, you must follow the gospel of Jesus Christ. The only thing that we ask, and and to set aside the one thing that divided them more sternly was it's absolutely unnecessary for circumcision to be a part of the Christian church. The rite of initiation for the Christian church is the waters of baptism, following the example that Jesus had given. So all would, be, would hear the gospel and be baptized and received into the church, but none would be required uh, to submit to circumcision. And of all the other dietary laws and things of that nature, that was simply a matter of taste for those who wanted to follow it. But out of a sense of love and devotion and concern for your fellow man, those that came from a pagan tradition in which they went to temple and offered sacrifices of food to the gods, whatever those gods were, and and then shared the meal in a ceremony in which they felt that they were having communion, fellowship with their God. They were no longer permitted to do that. And some of them, that was a difficult thing to accept because they had converted to Christianity, but maybe maybe their parents or their siblings or many of their friends were not, and they still practiced the pagan tradition. But those of worshiping the pagan gods, they could not follow any longer. And so that was a a simple... uh, uh, Arrangement that was made for them, they followed it, uh, and uh, everything uh, began uh, to work itself out by taking away this problem that was dividing them. But Paul learned something from that lesson. He learned how important it was that this message of love for one another and love shown by forgiving and love shown by serving one another was very important and needed to be very clearly brought to the people of the new congregations. So when he went on the second missionary journey and started building the churches, he had a teaching that he required be given in every new church that was founded. We have a copy of that teaching that Paul put together and used for the new churches from the lesson that he learned in Galatia. And we have it in in, uh, 1 Corinthians. I'm going to put 1 Corinthians on the board for you so that you can follow it. And I'm going to ask you this week when you go home, I'm going to make some citations from two different chapters side by side, chapter 12 and chapter 13 of, 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 of uh, 2 uh, uh, Corinthians, and I would like for you to spend some time with them this week and read them together and see if they do not speak to your heart and to your soul. Paul put together a place in the community for the Holy Spirit to come in a powerful way upon the people who had been baptized and received into that church and inform them of what their particular mission of service and ministry was in the church which they had committed themselves to. And Paul wrote out in chapter 12 what is in, a, in effect a syllabus for educating uh, in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Look at the way he begins this teaching for, that, for the Corinthians and for all the other churches. Now concerning the spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. That's sort of an easy way of saying, sit up straight and listen. This is something you need to know. It will be on the test. So listen carefully. You remember that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. But that day is gone. That's in the past. That's the way you lived before. And in that way, the gift, first gift you received from the Holy Spirit was a gift of faith, which enabled you to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and to commit to the waters of baptism and to be a follower of Jesus Christ. So don't pat yourself on the back if you're a believer because you did not logically come to this understanding totally on your own. It was a seeded gift put in your heart by the Holy Spirit that enabled you to see and to understand and to accept and to follow That's the gift that we all have that is the foundational gift for all of the others. But he said there are a variety of gifts that the Holy Spirit wants to give to you because you are not meant to be a spectator in the church of Jesus Christ. You're called to be a minister. You are to minister to the needs of the people in your community. And these, Paul said, are some of the ways in which you will be called to minister. And then this syllabus, Paul mentions 20 gifts of the Holy Spirit that enable us to serve one another. That's not to say they're only 20 gifts, but they were the basic gifts that Paul brings out. And any other service within the church can always be traced back to one of these basic gifts. And so let's follow what he says from then. He said, uh, therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God says Jesus is accused, is accursed, or that Jesus is Lord, but the Holy Spirit gave you that. And then continue on. And there are a variety of services, but the same Lord, a variety of activities, but the same God who empowers them in all of us. See the unity that's in there. You're all called to service. But that service is going to be expressed in different ways. And the Holy Spirit has prepared your heart and equipped you with the ability to minister in those ways if you will allow him to move in your heart. And then he continues on. he's kind of slow but he gets (laughs) to some are given faith by the Holy Spirit to another the gift of healing to another the working of miracles to another prophecy to another distinguishing between the spirits of good and evil to another speaking in tongues to another the interpretation of tongues and then he goes on to talk about preaching and teaching and administrating and all the different gifts that are given and he says, they're all given by the one God. And they're all given in service of God. And each of you has different gifts, but they all work together. And you ought to find out through your prayer which is your gift. And you must try to allow the Holy Spirit to blo- let it blossom within your heart and to get experience in working in that way. Now, I'm happy to tell you that Paul's syllabus has come down through the centuries, through 2,000 years, and is still given in the church to new converts who come into the Christian church. Here at St. Paul's, we give it in the Connect class. When you join St. Paul and want to be a part of of the congregation, we try to help you recognize the gift that you have. And in the Connect class, you're given what's called a spiritual gift inventory. And it's a wonderful gift that by answering a, a set of questions about how your heart feels, what you feel drawn to, what you enjoy doing, what you hope to be able to do, then it will reveal that gift to you and that we can put you to work in the church using that particular gift. That came from the church of Galatia, from the lesson that was learned and was brought to all of the other Christian churches in Paul's missionary journeys and through the spread of Christianity ever since that right down into the present time. And then throw up for me the closing few sentences of chapter 12. And with all of these, Paul says how important it is, uh, um, all the way to the end of the chapter, how important it is Uh, that we recognize what our gifts are and that we follow them. The closing words are that these are the ways in which you are uh, to look for service for God because these allow us to serve in God. But he says in the closing sentence, let me now tell you a more important thing that has to undergird all of these all of this that i have told you before and then he goes into chapter 13 put 13 up for me and 13 you'll remember is paul's famous soliloquy on love that is so beautiful and written so poetically and just flows so well and it it, it finds a way into the heart of every person and all of us have been to weddings perhaps we even had it in our own wedding where that's the chapter that the bride and groom choose to be read at their wedding because they know that God has brought them together by a love that they find in their hearts for each other, a love strong enough they feel that they can overcome any difficulties that may be on the road in their future and that with the power of the Holy Spirit and the love of God, they can overcome those things and provide the wonderful family and safe surrounding that they need to have for their love to, uh, to nourish and for the children that will be brought into that uh, service uh, to, to nourish. And he says, with all of these other things, the important thing is that you be people of love. Because if you have the ability to speak with tongues of men and of angels but do not have love in your heart, then it's, it's only a noise. If you have the gift of prophecy and are able to teach uh, and, uh, and, and, uh, and attract all people, unless you do it in love and out of love and not to promote yourself, then it is meaningless and powerless in your life and the life of others. And if I give all that I have and deliver my body to be burned but do not have love, I've wasted my time and God's time. Love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy or boast, it is not arrogant, and so on. Paul is speaking to us from 2,000 years ago and telling us to be people who are willing to commit ourselves to uh, to the gifts that God offers us to follow them and to serve because it's in loving one another and serving one another and forgiving one another that we will keep these divisions out of our church and we will be a powerful witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. In the year 1929, a man by the name of Marion, Marion Ward lived in the northern part of Chicago. He was a part-time baseball player on a field team and as you know anybody who tries to make a living that way has to have a second and a third job and so he had other jobs that he did and 1929 was just the beginning of the depression that was going to come and wreak havoc with so many people's lives he went to a revival at moody bible college in north chicago and heard Dwight Dwight Moody speak of this connection between Galatians and Corinthians and God's call for us to serve. And he was convicted by it. And he realized that he was called to serve and on one of the jobs that he had as uh, uh, putting together a little janitorial service he began to look for people who were struggling with the effects of the depression, and he would try to give them some employment where they could work for a few hours and make some money. And he based his work on trying to find other people who he could bring in and bring into that, uh, 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 in, into that job and help them because he felt like God had given him the ability to put a company together and to provide employment for others and he wanted to do that. And so he did that very quietly and God blessed it and it began to grow. In 1959 it became one of the first great franchises in America that employs thousands upon thousands of people. And you have all seen the yellow trucks from this company that go around the neighborhoods when people have had a problem with a fire or a flood or some problem. It's called Service Master. And when he started this business, he went to Moody, Moody Bible College and he asked for a blessing on the work that he was doing and he said he wanted to dedicate this work to God. He wanted to be in the service of the master, and from his desire to serve the master, today we have something that seems to you to be totally unrelated to any of this, but it just gives you an example of what God can do when somebody is willing to accept that invitation from God and to follow the direction that the Holy Spirit can give. Lord, I pray that today you will enter the hearts of all of the people that are here and you will recognize in them a desire to serve you and that you will make them understand how important it is and what a joy it is to be in the service of the master. Make us service master people, Lord. In your name we pray and all your people say